0: All right, welcome, my beautiful beans. Welcome to today's episode. This episode is all about dealing with and living with pathological liars, which is also compulsive liars. I'm going to break down what the difference is between pathological slash compulsive liar versus someone who lies for other reasons. You know, like I'm pretty sure that every single one of us at some point on a relatively regular basis has lied. Um, And what is the difference between those two things? And then we're going to be talking about how to deal with these people. Another thing that I wanted to talk about also, well, another thing that I wanted to address was this is based off a listener question. So I'm going to be reading the listener question at the start of the episode because it is specifically around dealing with the pathological liar. I was already planning an episode around this topic and then this listener question came through and I was like, this is fucking perfect. I'm just going to do that first and then I'll just roll into the episode of today. Um, life update, I don't really have a life update today. I probably do and it'll hit me at the end of the episode. So if it comes to me, I'll just have to like quickly jot it down so that I can remember at the end of the episode, but nothing for now. I do want to roll straight into the brain fact and the brain fact is I'm clearly going on this like a theme of eyeballs lately and like optical illusions and shit, but we're back on the eyeball trend and we're going to be talking about photo bleaching your rods. We've all experienced it. It sounds really weird. But basically it's this idea of light adaptation and dark adaptation. So what is photo bleaching your rods? So we've all felt what it's like when you're, you know, it's like a summer day, you're standing outside and it's really, really bright. It might be midday. And on top of that, the sun might be reflecting off certain surfaces and you are squinting to be able to see because it's so bright. And then from there, you go indoors, which normally is like low lit, but light enough and you cannot see a fucking thing. Your rods have been bleached and I'm going to explain what that is. So basically it's going from a super light area into what your eyes will deem to be a relatively dark area and it takes you quite a while to see the details. So if you're going from light to dark it takes a lot longer to adapt to the dark than it does going from dark to to light, and I'll explain why that is in a moment. But this kind of recovery process is all around, you know, the fact that these rods have been bleached. Okay, so it's where the rod, and I'll talk about what rods and cones are in a sec, but basically, photo bleaching is where the rod pigmentation is exposed to light. And if it's very, very bright light for a prolonged period of time, then it's called bleaching. If there's just a little bit of light, like your everyday, you know, getting around, getting a bit of sunlight, getting a bit of, you know, artificial light, it's not going to bleach your rods. And the reason it's called bleaching is because the photopigment, this, you know, pigment becomes transparent and then it needs time to regenerate before that pigmentation can return and before you can kind of see things in the darkness. Now, this happens due to something called, well, you've got your photoreceptor cells and these are receptors for photons. And a photon is a light particle. And we've got two receptors for photons, two photoreceptors. We've got rods and we've got cones. So rods, they're called rods because they're shaped like a rod. If you look at them kind of under a Well, normally you'd be looking at them in a textbook, but I've never seen one in real life. But it's they're they're fucking tiny and they're just tiny little receptors in your eyes. And these rods are in the peripherals of your retina, so they're more peripheral vision. They're really good for seeing at night Um, and they contain something called rhodopsin pigment, which is very high in vitamin A and it's responsible for nighttime vision. And they're super, super sensitive to light. They're not good for detecting color, and they're much slower at responding. But that is when it's, when it's. let's say you wake up in the middle of the night and there's just the tiniest bit of light that might be coming through, maybe a tiny light, you know, from your phone charger or maybe the moonlight's coming in. It's super, super low lighting. You're, it, that is pretty much 100% your rods um, responsible for what you can see in very, very, very low light. And interestingly enough, our brain is really good at playing tricks. But when you're in a room with really low light, you actually can't see colour. And if you think you can see colour, it's because you've seen those objects before and you know what the colour is. So your brain's like, oh, yep, that's a red chair. That's whatever. But if you go into a brand new space in very low light, notice that it's actually, it's just black and white. You cannot, or just grey, a grey scale, not really, black and grey, you can't actually detect colour because all the vision, all the information is actually coming in through the rods, which are high highly, highly, highly sensitive to light, but not to detail. So that's the rod. So then you've got cones, and they're called cones because they're shaped like a cone as opposed to the rod. And this is for high, high detail, color vision, high accuracy focusing. So these are located way more centrally in the central fovea area of the eye. Now we have long, middle, and short wavelength sensitive cones, and they contain something called iodopsin, pigment, which is violet pigment, okay? And this is really fast response as opposed to rods, which are like short response. Now, so back to the rods, because we're talking about rods right now. When enough rhodopsin in a rod photoreceptor is exposed to really bright light, it becomes desensitized just temporarily. And that desensitization, because they're so, so sensitive, that desensitization is known as bleaching or bleaching adaptation. And because this rhodopsin is so sensitive, light can cause its deterioration really, really rapidly and it can undo hours and hours of dark adaptation. And so, like, we've all been there. We've all, like, stood outside for a little bit, had a conversation with someone. Then we go to walk back inside and we're like, holy fucking shit, I cannot see anything. I'm going to crash into things. And you almost – I personally will, like, close my eyes and try and, like, adapt faster to it. I don't really think that helps. Closing your eyes doesn't really help. But I'm always trying to adapt faster to the darkness. But it also happens when you look into a flash. So if you – and normally when it's it's nighttime. So if it's daytime and someone takes a flash – I mean, fucking ridiculous to take a flash in the middle of the day. But if they do, it's not going to affect you because you're already exposed to light. Your rods aren't doing much work. It's your cones that are doing most of the work at this point because you're in well lit. But if you're in a dark space and someone takes a photo of you looking at the camera with a flash, you might get that bleaching effect where you can't really see and your eyes need to adjust again to the darkness. Um, Same thing goes if you look into bright lights, then you might look away and you'll see blotches in your visual field. And this is because if your pupils are already dilated, which they normally are when it's dark, um, and there's already high levels, so like your your pupils will dilate, they'll go really big to try and allow as much light to enter so that way you can see in the darkness. When it's really bright, your pupils are going to constrict so to allow less light to come in because, you know, we don't want to be overexposing the eyes to light. That's basically what's happening when when your pupils go big and little. Um... So when your your pupils are dilated, the effects of the bleaching is going to be... Sorry, when your pupils are constricted, the effects of bleaching is going to be a lot lower. But you're going to notice that it is a lot faster to adapt to light than it is to dark. And this is because of how sensitive the rhodopsin is and how easily it can be depleted. And then the regeneration of this rhodopsin takes fucking ages. So to adapt from dark to light... Can take anywhere between like a couple of minutes to seven minutes for the cones to become like fully adapted to the amount of light. They respond a lot faster. But it can take rods 30 to 40 minutes of absolute darkness to get to like 80 or 90% adaptation. So it is a much slower, longer process. To adapt to the dark. And you might feel like, oh, when I reach like 50% adaptation, I can see relatively well. And you can. Your eyes are pretty amazing what they can do. But yeah, it takes a very long time to be fully adapted to the darkness. And you'll notice that if you're sitting in a dark room, you initially it'll feel so dark and then half an hour will pass. And you're like, wow, I can actually see everything in this room. I can actually have like I've got really good vision right now. That's because it's taken. It's taken that long for this rhodopsin to be regenerated. So that's pretty much what's happening when you when your rods have been bleached. Okay. It does come back. It just goes through that kind of like this. Um, it's been completely depleted. So you're just not getting that information. This it's been desensitized. You're not getting the correct information sent to the brain. Therefore, you can't make out what is in your visual field. Good times. So that's the brain fact for today. Hopefully you enjoyed that one. Hopefully you can understand um, what's happening there. And also if you find that you are wanting to be in low light and you need to step somewhere with bright light, make sure that maybe when you turn a light on, maybe it's just a lamp or maybe it's like a dimmer version of your light if you have the possibility to do that. So that way it's going to be a lot easier to adapt back to the dark room. Because if you go from a dark room to a really bright room, then back to a dark room, you've undone all that work. It's going to be another 30 to 40 minutes before you completely adapted to the dark again. Okay, good times. Let's get into the topic of today's episode. Now, for today's episode, like I said, we're going to do the listener question first. I'm going to not answer the listener question directly. I'm going to do the episode and then I will address aspects of that listener question later on in the episode. Okay, let's get into it. Hi, Alexis, from the States and love, love, love the podcast. Thanks for all that you do. I'm currently in a shitty relationship with the father of my three year old. We are legally separated in our marriage. We both by no means were perfect in our marriage, but through your podcast, I have been actively working on myself and seeing huge changes for the better with my anger and anxiety. I know he notices. I am not seeing any changes on his end. I know I'm not in control of him and his actions, and I know that he's so toxic, but I keep forgiving him every time he does me wrong. This is something that I need to work on, I know. But one of his huge qualities is that bothers me so much well probably wouldn't call it a quality would i um one of his huge qualities that bothers me so much is his constant lying i just don't understand it why does he lie about everything he lies about big issues and the smallest insignificant issues that i have no reason that have no reason to be lied about even when I catch him in a flat-out lie, he still denies it. I always call him a pathological liar, but could you go into what actually qualifies someone as a pathological liar and why they are that way? How would someone who is, who is one work on themselves and stop it? The obvious answer is, I know, just stop lying, but I'm assuming a pathological liar is not able to do that very easily. Thanks again. So this is a really, really, really good question. You've asked multiple questions here on how to basically address you know, why why it happens in the first place, how to detect a pathological liar, and then what to do about it. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll just start from the beginning because I'm just going to turn this into a big knot if I don't start from the top. So what is a pathological liar or a compulsive liar? The, the two are the same. Basically, it's someone who tells a compulsive lie or a lie without a clear motive. There's more behind it, which I'll go into, but that's kind of the crux of it. Okay. So most of the time when someone tells a lie, there's a really good reason. And even if it's annoying, you can really understand why that lie was made. Okay. So, and the difference between someone who tells a lie occasionally and a pathological lie is that the lie has a really clear benefit and it kind of makes sense and they're not doing it all the time. With a pathological liar, the benefit is unclear or you can see the benefit but is so pointless. Like the benefit is just so menial that you question why they felt they need to lie and and jeopardise a relationship for something so like surface-level insignificant Um, because often the lies that pathological liars tell, not always but often, are about the smallest things – alongside big things. But they're often really, really tiny things that you're like, why the fuck would you even lie about that? I don't even care. Now, what do I mean about benefit? So, a benefit to a lie would be something like avoiding a consequence. So, you might lie about where you were um, or about something not being your fault. So, that way you don't have to suffer the consequences of that. So, while that's very frustrating. It makes sense why somebody would do that. You might lie about you falling short at being able to do something, uh, you know, to avoid being embarrassed, um, to avoid punishment. You might lie to gain reward. And then you might also lie or omit information for privacy reasons. And that's obviously very fair. Then we've got white lies. Now, white lies are really, really harmless because a white lie is normally done to Save the individual from hurting someone else's feelings. Okay. And these, this, if it's a white lie, it's a kind of lie that's not going to damage a relationship. And the benefit in a white lie is that you don't have to say your outfit's fucking foul and then suffer the repercussions of your friend or partner feeling really hurt for the rest of the night and you're not enjoying the rest of the time because you've just gone and insulted them. So instead, to prevent hurting their feelings or an argument, you say, well, you look so nice. I really like your choice in fashion, even if you think it's hideous. Okay, so that's a white lie. It doesn't damage the relationship at all. Everybody wins. Everyone's happy. White lies are very, very surface level purely to not hurt somebody else. Now, pathological lying is not in and of itself a mental health diagnosis. But pathological does mean that there is an underlying pathology – meaning an underlying disease or problem that's causing a symptom or behaviour. So this trait, this pathological lying trait, is common in other disorders such as OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. It's very common in narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disoma- disorder and more. And also trauma victims and head injury, head trauma victims um, can also – lean further into becoming a pathological liar. And it's still unclear if it needs to be turned into a standalone disorder or to just remain a symptom of other disorders. But as it stands right now, it is not in and of itself a mental health diagnosis, okay? And, And having said that, you can be just someone who is a pathological liar without having any of these disorders that I just mentioned. They don't have to go hand in hand, okay? Now, it can also stem from a child... And this is what we think is quite often, that it stems from a child not having their needs met or not having their needs met socially. So they feel the need to constantly make up lies so that they appear different and quote unquote like better in the eyes of others and so that they feel just more accepted either by their their peers, their friends, their family. So even with things that won't actually change someone's opinion of them, someone's going to be still making up all these lies. And pathological liars do this to those that are really really close to them, but they also do it to people that they've, you know, met once. Like it it doesn't discriminate. They'll fucking lie about the most random shit to the closest and to the most random people in their lives. Now, before I go into how to detect a pathological pathological liar and what it looks like, there was this very interesting study It was a study that was published in PubMed, which came out in 2005, and it found an increase in the the prefrontal white matter. Prefrontal is that front part of the brain that sits just behind like your forehead. So they found an increase in prefrontal white matter in pathological liars versus a normal control group and versus an antisocial control group. So they found this in certain parts of the prefrontal region of the brain, the orbital Orbitofrontal, the middle, and the inferior parts of the brain. Now, the question that this posed was: does higher levels of white matter in these areas like predispose individuals to pathological lying? Or, as other studies would argue, do people who lie repeatedly develop higher levels of white matter in these areas where excessive lying could be responsible for repeated, you know, repeatedly using certain a- pathways in those brain regions and you're constantly activating these circuits and you're getting these neuroplastic changes in the brain. And these regions that we're referring to here are associated with reasoning, decision-making, faster sharing of information within circuits of this part of the brain. So it's still not understood. It's like, are you a pathological liar because you've got more white matter in those areas? Or are you a pathological, or do you have white matter because you've you become so good at lying and you've practiced it so much that your brain's really good at making up shit on the spot constantly? Also, I have done a brain fact on this like fucking decades ago, I reckon, but the white matter is fat in the brain. And basically when you've got like a cell communicating with a the cell, it, they communicate through something called an axon, which is what sends the information from one cell across to the Other cell, and that axon is wrapped in these fatty like sheaths called myelin. And myelin is what helps propagate that information a lot quicker down the length of the axon to the other cell. If you don't have myelination, then that information is not getting sent or not getting sent properly to the other cell, and then you're going to have like a lapse in communication between certain brain regions. And there's several neurological diseases where there's a degeneration of the myelination, and then you get a lot of you know, issues depending where it occurs in the brain. So that's what white matter is. So if, you, if you're always using these pathways and you're always using these cells, then you're likely going to get more and more white matter in those regions because you're strengthening those pathways and the brain is understanding, oh, I'm going to use these pathways a lot. I'm going to put more energy, more nutrients for those brain regions to work better. Okay, now let's go into science to detect a pathological slash compulsive liar. The first one is that they are always changing their story and you notice it when they retell it. Okay, so you'll hear them tell the story once. You're like, that sounds fucking bullshit, but okay. Then you'll hear them tell it a second time and you're like, that is fucking not what you said the first time. And there's all these discrepancies. And then they might tell it a third time and you're like, can't – the fuck this is a lie like what part of that is real what part of it isn't okay so it just it just keeps changing every time they retell the story the 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 body of the story is the same but the details change or the numbers or the figures they keep they're constantly changing and if you're just an observer it's like oh my god this is embarrassing I'm I'm embarrassed on your behalf because it is so obvious that you are lying yet you keep spitting out this same story Another thing that a pathological liar will do is saying that a story is their own experience when it's actually someone else's experience and they're just pretending it was them to make the story maybe more interesting to the person that they're telling. Another one is to commonly make up a really dramatic story that did not happen. So for example, they will, you know, say someone pissed them off. You know, you know when someone pisses you off and in your head you're like, oh, I, I wish I said this. I wish I said that. A pathological liar will say, and I said this to them. And then they make this really dramatic thing that they put this person in their place and they shut them down. They were really witty and they did it. And then you're like, did you? say that to them? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Instead of actually being like what most people would say is like, I wish I said this to them. No, no. They'll just go and say exactly what it is that they said when they had an argument with someone, when they got into an altercation. And it doesn't necessarily have to be with negative things. It can also be with positive things as well. Like what they said something really funny and witty and they just, they just elaborate. They, they say what a lot of people would think, They say that they actually said it. They will often try and portray themselves as a hero of a situation or a victim of a situation. They will become defensive and they will shut off or likely go on the attack when they are confronted. So they will start questioning why you doubt them or make statements like, why would I even lie about that? you know and they and then often what they'll do is they will get you to justify your doubt instead of them justifying their lie so for example they'll be like yeah no it happened and then if you doubt them they say w- you look it up you 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 look it up prove it prove, prove that i'm not telling you. you know they'll try and make you justify even then though they're the ones making up this massive lie they're also going to lie about the most pointless things like they'll say that they went for a walk after work when they didn't it's like this would not change my opinion of you. It doesn't change anything about how I view you. Why? I know for a fact that you didn't yet. you would like, why the fuck are you telling me this weird ass lie when it's not important? Or they'll say that someone canceled on them when they're the ones who canceled on that person. Like it doesn't really change the outcome. Why are you saying that? Um, They'll, often play the victim and say that they were taken advantage of or that, you know, they were wronged or that something was not in their control. Um, They often like to play the role of the victim where, you know, woe is me and this was done to me. Can you believe it? It's so fucked and, like, what are the chances that this happens again to me? You'll also um, notice that they will very commonly think that they're an expert in a topic. But when they talk about this topic – they're not actually dropping legitimate facts or they're not quite cohesive with their statements. Like they just throw these random lines and you're trying to get some clarity on it and they're vague as fuck. And you're like, what do you mean? And that's where they're like, don't believe me? Google it. Google it because they themselves can't actually talk about the topic. They have no fucking idea. They're not an expert in that field, but they just throw some catchy buzzwords all around. So you think that they're an expert, but you just have to scrape the surface and you realize this person knows fuck all. They're an amateur and they're starting to piss me basically. Now, there will also a common th- things that they would lie about is that they're more successful than they are or that they are wealthier than they are. They will lie about how much they paid for something saying that it's more expensive than what it actually was to basically flex on the fact that they could afford it when in reality they didn't actually pay that much money for the thing. Um and even if people are like, wow, you overpaid, they're like, oh okay. You know, like they'll just it's just to make them look like I'm richer, I'm more successful. They will exaggerate their achievements and their abilities. Um, they embellish a story that might be real, but then go into these weird details that you're like, there's no way that happened. Um and yeah, so the, the, and then basically they will often lie to you about something that they've already lied to you and, and the details have changed, okay? So they'll say, oh, this is what I did after work and tell you a story. And then when you talk to them, they're like, oh, yeah, because I was doing this after work. And you're like, but you told me that you went to see this person after work. Oh, yeah, nah, but then they didn't end up coming. It's like, you know, but you feel, you literally said you t- – like it's, they'll create and then they'll say, no, you misunderstood me. So you're like, well, I didn't because you told me that you met up with this person and they'll flip it around and be like, no, 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 you think I've told you two different versions but in reality what's happened is that you didn't listen to me the first time. This is actually what's happened. The first time you listened to me, you were on another planet. They'll basically turn it around and be like, you're a bad listener. I know what I did and this is what I did and it's completely different to the first time. Okay, so as you can tell, it's extremely, extremely frustrating To deal with someone who's a pathological liar, especially if they're really close in your life, because you got to understand that if someone's a pathological liar, but they're like a work colleague, who fucking cares, you know, if it's not going to affect you personally, it's like, whatever, okay, this is annoying, but I don't have to deal with you all the time, it really doesn't affect me in the long term. It's fine. But when you've got someone like with this listener question, they're, they're a co-parent, okay? So you're going to have to deal with this person likely for the rest of your life and or at least intensely until your child is an adult. So how do you deal with people like this, okay? So if you're dating someone who's a pathological liar and a narcissist, then what I'm about to say probably will not be working too well because reasoning with a pathological liar is hard enough Reasoning with a narcissist is, I'm going to say near impossible. So if what I say is for people that have their narcissist plus pathological liars, then what I'm about to say is kind of going to be quite different. And then I would recommend that you go listen to my episode about narcissists, which came out ages ago, um, and that will give you a good idea of how to deal with a narcissist. But specifically, if you're dealing with someone who's not a narcissist but is a pathological liar, then, These are certain things that you can do to kind of tackle this situation. The first thing is, if, 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 if you decide that you want to call them out, never do it in public, okay? The reason for this is that, and and I'm saying this for your sake, not necessarily for their sake, mainly for your sake, because at the best of times, they're probably not going to receive it well. But if you do it in public, they will... They will put up their defenses so hard. They will be mortified. They're going to feel attacked, and they're also going to feel like you are intentionally trying to embarrass them. So they're going to look at that as a really nasty stab at them, even though they're the ones that just lied. But they will be like, "You are trying to out me in public. You are trying to humiliate me." You, so they're not going to. Fo- their focus won't be on the fact that they lied, They'll be like, "Oh fuck, you got me." that didn't actually happen. They're never going to do that. They, that. That would just be mortifying for them. So instead, they're going to turn it around being like, how dare you do that to me in public? So if you are going to try and call them out, do it in private. Okay, Make it something that's just between you and that person. And this is why I say, like, if it's someone that you're not close enough that you would ever have a conversation in private, then I would actually never bother pulling someone up about it if they're not close enough because the likelihood of them changing because if some colleague said, hey, you're lying about that detail, it, it's very low. So just pick your battles and, you know, cut the dead weight basically. Um, another thing that I would recommend is that – you don't say to this person, you are lying. That is a lie because this will be received really poorly. They will again feel attacked. So even if you are in private and you are talking to that person to say, this is a lie, you are lying to me, they're going to be like, wow, I'm attacked. And everyone feels attacked. Like even when you've been t- telling the truth and someone says that's a lie, it doesn't feel nice. And a lot of the time with pathological liars, they actually forget the lies that they've told and often they get so used to lying, it becomes a habit that they believe maybe not 100% of their lies but it comes becomes a bit of a tangled web on, on what's true and what's not true and what they've said, okay? So what you would say instead is, I remember you explaining this to me differently and then pause and see what they say. Just say, but didn't you say you did something else this afternoon? So instead of saying you lied, you this, just say, didn't you? And just prompt them and give them an opportunity. The likelihood of them coming clean is very, very low. But it's letting them know that you are aware that they are not consistent with their storyline, but you're also very calm and you also kind of want to come across as I don't really care about these small details, but I am aware that they're, they're not lining up. This is not consistent. You can also say things like, oh, I don't remember it being that way, but okay like you just dismiss it. You're like, I'm not here to argue with you. I'm not going to have a debate with you. But my personal experience is that I don't recall that being the case. Because someone can't argue with your personal interpretation of an experience. You could say, no, no, it really did. No, it didn't. You can go back and forth, back and forth as much as you want. But if they're going to dig their heels in the ground and say, no, this absolutely happened, when you know it's a lie, then you can just turn around and say, fair enough, I just do not remember it that way. Or I just recall you explaining it differently. And then you leave it. You do not continue with the story because the more you do that, the more they start realizing, wow, this person's catching me out on these lies constantly, but they're not attacking me about it. They're not trying to challenge me. They're just always pulling me up. And then they might start becoming a little bit more aware that this behavior is kind of wearing you down and it's really kind of damaging the relationship, okay? Um, Whenever possible, do not resort to anger. As frustrating as it is when someone lies and lies and lies again, anger in general is a sign of a lack of control. Because it is. Anger is a lack of control. And we've all been there, like Just because we know it's a lack of control doesn't mean that it automatically makes it easier to just not blow up and not be angry. But that's what it is. When you have an outburst of anger, while it might feel good in the moment because you're letting out all this energy, you've lost control over yourself and your emotions. And when a liar sees that you are angry, they will look at this as a weakness. They'll be like, they're snapping, they're blowing up, I can use this against them. I can be like... Why are you attacking me? Why are you so angry at me? And they can use a lot of the time when you have an outburst of anger, people will look at your anger and not at the situation, unfortunately. So try your very best that if you feel that you're getting really heated and frustrated, just remove yourself from the situation. Okay. And if you do want to ask them about their lies, you could say, do you feel that you can't be honest with me? So if they made a lie about something that's, you know, that you think, why would they lie about that? Just say, pause on that story. Do you feel like you can't be honest with me? Because I hope that I give you enough comfort in our relationship that you can just tell tell me, like, just be honest about where you've been. I don't want to ever feel like you're scared to tell me something that I would attack you for something. I want this relationship to be one where we are completely open and honest. Do you feel that I don't provide that for you? And then you will hear the answer. And of course, they're going to be like, no, no, you you know, it's on. just say, because sometimes I feel that what you say doesn't add up and I would just really want you to feel that you can be honest in this situation. So when you start, you know, prodding it in that way, this person starts to be like, "Fuck, these lies are starting to damage this relationship. They are now doubting the fact that I'm an honest person." Okay? So you you can start saying things like that and drip feeding things like that, basically saying, "I know you're lying" without accusing you of lying, and I don't have to deal with this shit. And then lastly, Another thing to do is that if they're telling a blatant lie, just look at them and don't be like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Oh, wow. Really? Did that happen? Just stare at them and they're going to be like, oh, my God, they're catching me out. They know. And just nothing. Don't utter a word. And often when you do that, they will feel that you're doubting them and then they're going to try and convince you further or they're going to ease up on it. So they'll be like, and no, no, it happened because and then they'll go deeper and deeper and you're just staring at them or they'll retract and be like yeah anyway anyway and then they'll try and change the topic cuz they're like they're not fucking picking up the bullshit that I'm putting down I need to kind of pull out of this because they're not they're not reacting at all and then if they ask you why you're not saying anything just be like i'm i'm not going i'm not going to get involved in this conversation i just i don't want to talk about this like and then they will know very very quickly that you've picked up on their lie okay now Can a pathological liar change? And the answer to that is yes, they can change. Are all pathological liars capable of change? No, because in order to change, they need to be able to admit it first. So that is possible, but it's very unlikely because they're always on the defense. And I have seen people who have been able to, no, that's a lie. I haven't seen people. I have communicated with people, listeners, a lot of beans who have spoken about how they themselves used to be pathological liars and how they became aware of it and they were able to change. But like everything, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. So the, you, need, you need to come from a position where you are like, I acknowledge that this is a problem. Often it's really good if you can speak to someone who's not that judgmental. So if you, let's say you've got a partner who, apart from their pathological lying, they're a fucking legend, then you want to try and create an environment being like, you've got so much going for you. Let's work on this together. I notice that you just, you know, some things are a little bit inconsistent. Maybe just pause before you tell the story and be like, okay, what actually happened? Maybe don't fill in the gaps. So don't come at them as like, I'm attacking you, but come at them as like, I've noticed there's like... Oh, I'm just banging tables with my elbows, saying, like, I've noticed that you've said this thing. It doesn't really add up. Maybe pause. Like, you're helping them. And that might give that person being like, oh, yeah, I do notice that I do that. And sometimes they'll say, I notice that I do that when I get nervous or I notice that I do that when I feel like – like I've forgotten and so i just make something up. And you would be like, yeah, fine, cool. And then uh, that's when you can turn it into a conversation and be really like warm and open about it because there are really good people out there that are pathological liars and then there are fucking wankers out there who are pathological liars. Not every pathological liar is a bad person, okay? So I just, I do want to make that clear because it sounds like when you hear the word liar and compulsive liar that they're trying to deceive you. But uh, most of the time... If not all the time, a pathological liar lies about things that are related to them and their experiences and what they've done so other people see them in a better light. Okay, So you've got to understand that it can come down to maybe an insecurity within themselves um, because of the history of, as a child, never being seen or growing up, never feeling accepted. So they feel like they need to fabricate all these things. And because they get so used to fabricating all these things, it becomes really, really difficult for them to break that cycle. So not it doesn't equal you're an asshole because you keep lying. If you look at the lies, most of the time, most pathological lies are just lying about things that are about them or about their experiences or about their actions or an interaction that they had with someone that's not relevant to you. So it's not a lie where they're trying to spread gossip. They're not trying to, you know, pit two people against each other. It's not that kind of lie in general. Okay. So yes, they can change. It requires for them to be aware and they can change what what they find is if you're a pathological liar that where it's kind of like a comorbidity with OCD or, you know, other disorders in the, you know, that I mentioned earlier. Well, I'm just trying to find them. Like OCD, borderline personality disorder, things like that. If you're already getting, if you're already getting therapy for those things, then you'll find that someone who is being treated for OCD or borderline personality disorder, whether it's through medication or whether it's through therapy, talk therapy you might find that their lying subsides dramatically because they are being able to talk about their problems they are getting to the root of their problems and they're getting therapy for it and then everything starts improving in their life so but like i said awareness is the number one thing so to so that's pretty much pathological liar how how to identify what to do about it all of that um to go back to the listener question at the start of the episode One thing that I did want to touch on is that you said, um, I know I'm not in control of him and his actions, and I know he's so toxic, but I keep forgiving him every time he does me wrong, and that is something I need to work on. I don't think there's anything wrong with forgiving someone for doing you wrong, but I think you need to teach people how to treat you. So I think forgiveness is really good for your own sanity and your own mental health. And if you're a forgiving person, don't. Don't change that about yourself. I think that's very admirable to be able to forgive someone. But there's a difference between I've forgiven you and I've forgotten how you've treated me, so I'm going to put myself in the same position to allow you to treat me like a fucking idiot again, okay? So that's the difference. So you can – you know when people say I forgive but I don't forget and people say, oh, that's a really jaded way of looking at things – I don't think it's a jaded way of looking at things. It's saying, I'm forgiving you in the sense that I'm not resenting you anymore. I'm willing to move past this in a way that I'm not harboring hate or anger. But I'm also not going to forget the history or the pattern of how you treated me and put myself in the firing line again. I'm going to remember the history of it and behave accordingly next time I interact with you. So, you know, I personally... really love that saying of, I forgive, but I don't forget. Because I think people think, oh, the, I don't forget means that you really haven't forgiven and you're just harboring, not necessarily. Okay. So in this scenario, I would say, okay, this person is really toxic. I've been able to be like, I'm not going to harbor hatred towards you because you are the father of my child. And that <laughs> there's just no place in my life for that level of just, you know, n- negativity or bad feelings or bad vibes with my own family. However, I now know where the benchmark is to how you treat me and I'm going to start drawing some clear boundaries here. I'm going to look at you as a co-parent. I'm going to treat you with respect but at arm's length. And all these lies, and you said he lies about the biggest issues and the smallest insignificant issues. If you're keeping this person at arm's length and you're keeping them as a co-parent – who cares if he's lying about the small things? It doesn't matter. You want to separate yourself so there's a clear boundary in between you and him. Because especially given that he's your ex and you don't live together and you can firstly, you can't control anyone, but even less someone who's not living with you in your life in that way, you know, with with a partner, you can influence them to change for the better at best, but you can't change people. So there's no way you can change him. And his pathological lying, whatsoever. So, I would create a boundary of how he can treat you. I would step away. And I would also not bother catching him out in flat out lies anymore. Because if he wants to live that way, that's on him. And he is entitled to do so. If he wants to live a life where people think, fuck, this guy is a liar and he's always lying, then that's his fucking cup of tea. That's his prerogative. Not your problem. So you've just got to think there's no point catching him out in flat out lies. You're just going to call a spade a spade and you're only going to talk about things that are related to your child. Okay. And when you do that, even if he lies, when it's related to your child, this is where you want to be using those other tips that I mentioned where you're like, I remember it differently, but let's move on. Or that's not what I heard from other people. So it's probably somewhere in the middle. Let's move on. Things like that. But you trying to call him out is just going to cause more tension between two people that are literally only having a relationship because they are co-parenting. And when it comes to co-parenting, the number one person in that situation is the child. Number one person. Because if it wasn't for the child, you likely would not have a relationship with that person. So every time you think this person's fucking grinding my gears, just think, for the sake of my fucking child, I'm going to just save save the peace, save my peace of mind. And it's not necessarily about being the bigger person or being whatever or being this or being that because I don't think you always have to be the bigger person. But when you are dealing with a co-parent you've just got to think for the sake of my child I'm going to tap out here I'm not going to pull them up on this shit I'm not going to feel responsible for their toxic behavior I'm not going to feel responsible for their shitty actions but I am responsible for the boundaries that I create for myself I am responsible for my own mental health and my sanity and my peace of mind so I'm going to put this little boundary here and that's all I'm going to worry about if he wants to like cruise around like a fucking clown embarrassing himself that's on him okay Hopefully you enjoyed that episode, guys. That is all for today. Um, If you do have any listener questions, I've been getting heaps in, but I do love receiving more and more. So if you do have more listener questions, please just email in at info at dyfmpod.com. And that is all. Love you guys so much. Big shout out to everyone, all my beans around the world, all my beans in Spain and Germany. I've got lots of German beans, so I fucking love that so much, my Munich beans my Berlin beans. Anyway, love you all. As always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.